here in the heart of the jungle, we find one of the most interesting creatures of its kind. Amazon PPC Advertising. Buried deep amongst the undergrowth with its campaigns and targeting, lay hazards like keywords without conversions, unprofitable ad spend, and a mountain of ever-evolving complexity. But if you look beyond the obstacles of life here, there is hope and opportunity. We will journey to every corner of Amazon ads to explore and share the greatest treasures the jungle has to offer. This is the Amazon PPC Den podcast. What's going on, Badger Nation? Welcome to the PPC Den podcast, the longest, the oldest running, wait, the oldest and longest running Amazon advertising podcast in the world in the universe that we know of. Uh, today, so fitting to have you back on the show, Blair, because literally today I had someone write in and said, hey, you know what uh, Ad Badger should do? They should automatically pause ads when things go out of stock. Better yet, how about we help things not go out of stock? How about that one? Uh, Blair, welcome back to the show. Blair Forrest from AMZ Prep. Blair, when people Google your name, yeah. I, I searched Blair Forrest before this. Oh, did you? I do it all. I was finding actual forests like in nature. Uh, so if people want to look you up, they should search Blair Forrest, AMZ Prep. Yeah. Welcome yeah. back to the show. You can almost like, we can almost do some cool correlation between like Amazon jungle forest. You can Ooh, find me here we go. at this point. But no, I appreciate you, uh, appreciate you having me back on to the, uh, the number one podcast on earth. Uh, that's, that's data, that's historical, that's proven. Uh, no one yes. can tell us different at this point. So I appreciate you having me back on. Hopefully there yes. was uh, there was a ton of snippets on, on the other one. And if you guys are talking about ads so much, I'm, I'm over here in the, uh, in the corner on my, uh, on my own talking about inventory and, uh, fulfillment. So I'm glad you can get me into the ring another time to hopefully hit this out of the park. Yes. I view my Amazon my own personal Amazon knowledge as one that is growing because uh, inventory management is something that I have never been exposed to very much. Like it's always right. like, Hey, like let's slow down our ads. Uh, let's lower our ACOS as things begin to run out of stock. There's an entire ecosystem that, uh, I simply wasn't privy to, uh, and it's awesome to have you on the show to sort of share that because I know so many people on the show. We had a part one, inventory management strategy. We covered all different kinds of things like what people should do if they haven't been thinking of inventory management. And this was just a few episodes ago. So the, if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to episode 173. We'll link it in the show notes. But basically we covered how to handle different amounts of SKUs and different how to handle your inventory management at each one. And for this episode, part two of this sort of journey into inventory management, we're going to be doing, I'm going to be hitting, hitting you with 10 questions, 10 areas for inventory management, how to think about it, uh, how to optimize it. Uh, so it's going to be quick. It's going to be fast and furious. Are you ready, Blair? I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's, let's hit this out of the park. 
Let's do it. You should be nice and relaxed because I heard uh, you just got back from a nice relaxing vacation somewhere. It's cottage all week. Cottage all week. It At was cottage. good. For anyone, uh, anyone not in Canada, we have some cottages up here in uh, Muskoka. I know, Michael, you're doing a little bit of Googling on it. Yeah. Uh, it's so nice. So I was golfing up there. Uh, anyone that sees me on LinkedIn, I'm pushing my golf heavily, even though I'm absolutely horrible. Uh, if you <laughs> you see my photos and videos, it looks like I'm really good at it. Uh, so I was golfing a bit. I was relaxing on the beach. I was just doing some podcasts. It was it was good, man. It was uh, it was exciting. So I'm glad I'm back in the office. But business as usual, we're rocking. Well, now that you are rested and rejuvenated, let's jump into it. We've got ten questions to maximize FBA inventory restrictions. Play to the transition music. Artie Blair, topic one. Tell us how, first and foremost, this is a traffic show. This is a show about growth, about getting more clicks, more orders, more conversions at a better rate. So how does paying attention to inventory management help us drive more sales, PPC, and external traffic? So I, I, I think the key here, and a lot of what I think the focus is for these initial 10, is that the reason that I know you and I, Michael, talk about these things is, obviously, IPI issues are going to be a continuous uh, problem for everyone that that is listening to this and with Christmas coming around the corner inventory restrictions will just continue to be an absolute issue so as we go through these things number one which I thought is the key when we look at inventory restrictions the lowest hanging fruit which is an impact of your inventory restrictions and your fulfillment strategy is just driving more traffic and obviously this is your guys' domain and, and this is the podcast that you should be listening to. Uh, but this could mean both organic and paid. Uh, Amazon's inventory algorithm heavily advises towards more product. It's not rocket science at the end of the day. They like inventory turnover. Um, so this is a mix between maybe sending less stock into Amazon, but then complementing that with a pretty aggressive advertising strategy. If Amazon sees it moving faster, they'll traditionally increase those limits. Uh, so it's it's pretty much a one-to-one. -one. So this is a cool little insight into the algorithm machine of how Amazon processes this information. So what you're saying is Amazon prioritizes inventory turnover. That means like sending a big order in, moving it quickly, getting more traffic, more sales, sending more inventory, like that kind of process is what you're referring to? Yeah, so, so there's a measure called the product sell-through rate. So this is the units sold or shipped within the past 90 days and then divided by the average units available. That, that's a total sell-through. So this ability is what Amazon's gonna measure in terms of seeing how well you're performing and whether or not you get a green light for more inventory and also just how well Amazon's gonna review your inventory health and status. Uh, of course, this obviously helps the balance between like overstock at Amazon because the faster the turnover, the more healthy your account, the more the algo is going to actually favor you from like an inventory standpoint. Um, so this can be a, a, a mix between sending more shipments into Amazon more frequently. So there's not a bunch of uh, 200 days worth of stock, even though you know it's selling quickly. It might just be sending 30 days. And if you're doing advertising really well, maybe it's only 15 days. Uh, and then also, if there is that overstock and it's not selling as quickly, do you either pump ads towards it to make sure that you're able to sell it? It might not be as profitable, but your sell-through rate's going up, which should help your inventory limits, uh, or alternatively, just completely get it outside of Amazon. Um, but that measurement is super key, and it's everyone's usually looking at ACOS or ROAS as the only digits and uh, measurements that they want to talk about, but 
uh, product sell-through rate. It's a, it's a very, I think, undervalued measurement. And across your company, like it's just a super valuable number to know if you have this on your pulse. 99% of companies that we speak to, uh, and I'd be interested, Michael, maybe like quiz a couple of your guys' clients next time you're speaking to them or your guys' yeah. team. Um, ask them if they know their average sell-through rate. Because um, it's traditionally just not a number that people think of, even though Amazon will pretty much provide it right to you as long as you can uh, do a bit of mathematician. That's all. So this is not a metric that is listed somewhere. This is something that you need to take these values and calculate it on your, yourself? Yeah, traditionally. Um, so yeah, the, the way that we do it is literally just from a spreadsheet perspective. We'll just download the business report and then we'll look at it. Um, we try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, but they'll traditionally give you some numbers in terms of your sell-through of like the health status of it. But yeah, we, we do it right from the Excel sheets, at least from the, uh, the crew on our side. Right on. Last question about this. And in case anybody missed that, what's the calculation for that again? So it's units sold or shipped within the last 90 days divided by the average units available. Or if you want to do it on an individual SKU basis, ASIN past 90 days divided by uh, average ASIN units available over those 90 day period. Um, there's, if you just type in uh, product sell-through rate, Amazon, there's a bunch of forums on it. It's, it's super easy. Uh, and then all the formulas are there. And also like um, in the YouTube, I'm going to send this over to Michael too. We have this little like uh, sell-through formula that we can show you guys. It's just not a PDF. It's nothing sexy, but uh, it gets a job done if you want to look at it. Amazon growth, marketing, that's always sexy, baby. Let's move to question two. All right, this one appears to be somewhat related to the first question, mm -hmm. but tell me a little bit about the benefit of creating frequent inbound shipments to Amazon. So there's a mix of a couple answers. And depending on the health of an Amazon account, sometimes it actually won't favor you. Uh, but so we, we did it with a really large company here in uh, Canada. So we're, we're warehousing their products. They're a top 100 brand in the US. Uh, and they have a, it's a massive catalog. It's a few thousand SKUs. Um, and all the picking bins are right behind me. So it's, it's not the, the funnest to deal with. You guys are probably much more of a blast on the, uh, on the advertising side. But what the biggest issue with them was that inventory limit was hitting basically every single ASIN on an individual level. So what we ended up doing was we needed to maximize the sell-through rate. That was the measure that we were trying to impact, that variable. So instead of sending these kind of massive shipments to Amazon, instead we're creating these really frequent FBA shipments. So for some sellers, instead of doing it on a monthly basis, we were doing these shipments on a weekly basis. For this company, they're selling tens of thousands of units a week. Uh, we were doing FBA shipments, we we're doing 15 a day during Q4. It was crazy volume, so it was ridiculous what we had to do because we were just trying to get any inventory available. Uh, but the same process applied, where whether it's 15 a day, or it's five a week, or it's one a week, or it's one every two weeks, depending on the size of the account. One of the key benefits is that because products inside of Amazon in a less duration, Amazon's going to benefit it because at that time they had a lot less storage available. This may change because now they actually have too much storage available, so they might pull back. Um, depending on, as you guys, everyone knows with uh, all the warehousing situations with Amazon, if not, I think it's a cool conversation. So the key here is just be able to just create these more frequent ones, um, just on a more frequent schedule. And this will help you increase that sell-through rate. Awesome. Let's move to the next one. This is a pretty interesting question. This is something that makes intuitive sense, but 
Talk to us a little bit about how using small parcel deliveries or preferred carriers, and be sure to define that, and faster transit times instead of LTL. Walk us through all these all these terms. What do they mean? It's a lot of terms. It's a lot yes. of terms. Let's, br- let's break it down. So, okay, so let's cover the terms first. Um, so yes. there's SPD. This is Amazon Small Parcel Delivery. So this is with Amazon's discounted carrier, which is the exclusive shipping rates that Amazon uses inside of Seller Central. For non-Amazon-based companies or some that have a business outside of Amazon, you can ship products directly to Amazon not using Amazon's discounted shipping labels. It's just a lot more expensive. It's as simple as that. What's unique is that here in Canada, when we look at LTL, And to define LTL, there's LTL and FTL. Just we have these definitions. LTL means less than truckload. So this means uh, one pallet, for example. It means less than a truck worth of product going to Amazon. So this can mean anything from one pallet to 20 pallets, for example. The average container, let's say, will fit 24 or 48 total pallets inside the, uh, in a truck or container. And then there's uh, the FTL which is a full truckload. If it's on ocean, for example, it's LCL and FCL, uh, which is uh, when it's on ground, it's called truckload. When it's on the ocean, it's called container load. So LCL is less than container load. It's a pallet going across the ocean. FCL, container across the ocean. LTL, ground less than truck. FTL is ground full truck. Got it, I'm with you. Amazon has the option for you to be able to purchase through their discounted program at a, a ridiculously discounted rate. Uh, it's pennies on the dollar compared to if you just use uh, UPS directly to ship into Amazon, which is amazing and it's favorable for all sellers. Uh, but one thing that a lot of sellers don't know, so here in Canada, we don't have uh, pallet options with Amazon. They, they don't provide it. Uh, so in, in the US, if you have a pallet, Amazon will still generate a shipping label at a very discounted rate. They'll come pick it up and deliver it to an, an Amazon warehouse. But in Canada, we don't have that option. Uh, so we actually have to use external carriers. So whether it's like a local truck company, uh, whether it's one of our trucks, uh, whether it's UPS directly, there's a lot of different solutions, um, but it's just, it's traditionally a lot more expensive. And then of course the liability changes because you could ship a box to Amazon directly, but the caveat is that Amazon is now not covering it. So if it does break along the way or your uh, baby products go missing, Amazon, you can't just open up a case. You're using external carrier. You need to go to, and good luck trying to call UPS. You have to try to go to UPS directly. So what we're mentioning there, especially when it comes to inventory issues, is that some brands will utilize small parcel delivery instead of going pallets. And I'll explain why. Sometimes with sellers, what happens with pallet shipments? So Michael, the seller needs to book an appointment with Amazon. So we can't just ship in a pallet tomorrow. We can't just, uh, I wish I could just drive my car and then go drop it off at the Amazon warehouse. Uh, Appointments are crazy to book with, and especially with Q4 coming up, it's gonna be a lot harder. So we have to book an appointment beforehand Depending on the carrier, the volume, the account, sometimes you'll get more preferred bookings. Sometimes we get an appointment tomorrow. Sometimes we won't get an appointment for a week. Some carriers take a month to get an appointment because they don't have a good score with uh, Amazon's delivery network, which is a whole other beast on its own. 
So what some sellers will do for inventory issues is that instead of sending what would traditionally be a full pallet to Amazon, which traditionally can be more cost effective, depending on the situation, they'll just print off individual small parcel labels and they'll individually label it and then they'll drip feed this out of the warehouse. And it might be on a daily basis. It kind of goes with number two, which is on a, a weekly basis, but these small parcels get injected to Amazon traditionally a lot faster. Uh, sometimes it's more cost effective depending on how many boxes you have. And also just the overall turnaround process is a lot more fluent. Um, it's just pallets are a lot more difficult to move as you guys can imagine versus a small parcel. It gets moved into the back of a UPS delivery truck and that truck drives directly to a warehouse versus if it's pallet, it usually gets sent to a middle ground or a middle warehouse and then gets sent to Amazon, which is completely different. So that, that break, if you only have 15 days worth of stock left, can be whether or not you lose your, uh, you lose buy box, you lose inventory status. Of course, advertising turns off, ranking goes down, the, the domino effect starts to appear. Uh, and this could be mitigated if you can do SPD for some of the shipments. A lot of terms there. That was, that was, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for breaking it down. Let's move to the next one. Alrighty. Talk to us about reducing excess inventory. What is the issue? Why is it an issue? And how do you generally find like your most successful clients to deal with this? So traditionally, when we look at excess inventory, there's two major dates to consider. There's the 90-day mark, and then there's the 365-day mark. These are kind of the two benchmarks. And if we can in a perfect world, we don't like to get over either one of those. If you have a small business, sometimes you can get away with it because it's not changing the world. Um, but 90 days plus worth of stock, this is traditionally, we're trying to push that away. For most sellers, we're still optimizing 30 to 45 days. If we can get less, even better, you just, you get into this kind of like really risky spot that if one thing goes wrong, then all hell can break loose. Or if Amazon wants to do an inventory transfer from Ohio to California, like you're gonna be in a lot of trouble very, very quickly. So the key here is that maintaining the inventory inside of Amazon for that 30 to 60 days for expected sales and for excess inventory, this could be from a mix of things. And I will go into this kind of as we go through this, but one could be um, just overstock. It could be inactive listings, uh, right? It could have been that random supplement that got hit with some sort of case issue because of uh, the keyword protein was in there when it wasn't supposed to have protein and now that's stuck inside Amazon. There's a lot of reasons for excess, uh, but it usually comes down to just, it's an inactive ASIN. Someone didn't deal with an old case log. It might be Amazon returns, or it could just be that you thought it would sell enough and it's just not moving for whatever reason, right? Or maybe it's just not profitable from an advertising. Uh, clear those out. Um, those are impacting your inventory and your IPI score immediately. So it's a really quick way that most sellers just don't do a hygiene check pretty often. And also it's a, it's a nightmare to deal with returns, which completely makes sense. Send those to your house, send them to your grandma, send them to a warehouse, get them outside of Amazon. Like it is a dangerous place and don't think about doing it right when you need the inventory score because that's just this ongoing cycle. So you need to clear it now to make sure that in the next two months, when the reviews come up, it, it just allows you to make sure you don't have any issues if you do get hit with limits. Awesome. Number five, stranded inventory. Uh, how often does that happen? What should people be doing about it? How do we track it? Yeah, stranded inventory is a tough one. Um, and a lot of sellers get it wrong, Michael, because 
it's such a difficult thing and with everything else happening and you're dealing with your advertising and finding new products and sourcing like it it just usually takes a complete back burner so traditionally the easiest way that we just think about stranded inventory is that if it's within 30 days the case log can probably manage it uh, if you can get it via case logs but this stranded inventory usually is pretty similar to the places we've seen the excess inventory which is really just on the basis of it's just a stuck ASIN. Uh, this is where like, of course, like uh, I know Stephen Pope goes into ridiculous details about how we can escalate. Uh, I just saw like a whole thing about the escalation chain for seller support. So there's a lot of really cool ways to try to get it with Amazon to reenact an old listing or maybe you merged a variation and now that variation broke and now one is inactive and one is active. Like all of these things can trigger it. There's literally a tab that you can go to specifically on your inventory to check for these things. And it'll give you the option to try to reinstate it because you feel it's worth reinstating. But after 30 days, I'd say open a case log. After 45 days, just remove it. It costs 50 cents, for example, to remove. Sometimes if you're lucky, Amazon has the, the time where it's free returns. Use this, right? get your money worth. Uh, but after a certain point, you just need to call it quits and just redo that because even whether or not stock is inside of Amazon, just get it outside of Amazon because you can still go through the case management process while stock isn't there. But while stock is there, you're waiting on Amazon, which everyone knows is a very dangerous game. And two, it's also just hurting your score in the meantime. So once it hits over that uh, 90 day, now you get your excess storage ding, and then you're also gonna get your sell through rate is just getting hit for no apparent reason um, because your best product is selling through really well, but you have an old ASIN that you just never removed from Amazon or disposed of, and that's now screwing up your overall strategy and you're scratching your head saying, what happened? Number six, this one is straightforward. Uh, I just sent out a report to a client mm. for like the last 30 day, like top 10 ASINs and the previous 30 day top 10 ASINs and the drop off, they had one of the most popular products go out of stock. Uh, and it caused major issues, major issues in ACOS because now the traffic that was once going to the top product that was out of stock is now going to maybe like a, you know, B tier mm. product, uh, causing all kinds of ACOS issues, um, which can then cause total ACOS issues, which then throws a lot of things and then will cause like a shrinking budget because of it. Like we're trying to fix the total ACOS. So it can cause this sort of chain of events. And this is a stock issue. So obviously prioritizing, keeping the most popular products in stock, what kinds of considerations do people need to make to keep those winners? Cause I mean, we think about 80, 20, like, you know, 80% of, of the sales are going to come from the top 20%. And then we think of the 80, 20 of that top 20%. Um, so those very top products, what kinds of considerations should people be thinking about? It depends on how severe the issue is. Like right now, inventory is not hitting too many accounts with any issues, but I promise you it will at some point or another, you're gonna get caught with it. And Amazon just likes to stay lean. It's just more profitable. They're not a storage company. They're a fulfillment company. So they make very little money on the storage. They make all their money off the pick and pack, which is where the revenue driver is. And it's two very different business models. So the I think really the, the key to just understand here, so for some sellers that we've seen, Sometimes it's 80-20, sometimes it's 90-10, sometimes it's 70-30. Mm -hmm. it, it really depends. So for example, we have a, a client, they, um, they sell a bunch of supplements here in Canada and they also do it in the US. 
they had us or they had a 3PL that was able to do FBM pretty easily, wasn't the best scenario, but they, they're top movers. They weren't able to get stock in because of these inventory restrictions and it was just mm. overloading. Um, also like their old, like their old warehousing partner couldn't fulfill 30 SKUs really quickly. It just took them a really long time. So instead they're like, screw it. Let's just make sure our top two are inside of Amazon. So it depends if they have the ability because it might just come down to a basis that can you do fulfillment yourself? Can you do FBM for some of these slow movers? It's not the best scenario, but if you're not running ads towards them, they're not moving that well. They're just kind of there and they're sitting and maybe they're doing a couple units a day or they're just a low priority. It's a really case by case thing um, because if you don't have FBM, you're not just going to turn that ASIN off. It might just be that you might want to pull out majority of the stock if you have 180 days worth, right? And just minimizing it. It's not mm -hmm. the best scenario, but when it comes down to do and die, and if you're going to lose the traffic on a hero ASIN for the pink uh, bouquet of flowers that sells 2% a month of your guys' revenue, it's, it's a suicide mission. So um, both scenarios aren't great and we've never seen it work perfectly. Uh, but for some of these supplement brands, they're looking at FBM for 10 to 20%. They're keeping the rest in stock, but there's a backup plan. I think that's kind of the key thing is that like, if we need to, we can pull a trigger, whether they fulfill it, whether we fulfill it, like there's just a thought process there because we just don't want to have the top level of creatine sold out and we can't get it back in because um, we have blueberry protein that no one wants right. that, that no one wants to buy it that's just sitting there looking pretty inside of uh, one of Amazon's warehouses. That's right. Let's move to number seven. You feeling the burn yet, Blair? We're going good. fast here. I'm feeling good. Yes. We're hitting them. Hitting them uh, hard. Uh, t talk to us about FBA inventory restrictions uh, and getting aggressive when launching new products. So tons of sellers, and you guys probably see it too, um, they get so frustrated, especially like with new ASINs, traditionally there is some sort of limit that they get dinged with. Uh, and I'm assuming what you guys see on the advertising side is pretty similar to how we probably get the after effect from these guys. But the biggest issue is that we see brands half-bake a lot of their launching when they're going to Amazon unless they're using like an agency or actually have like a consultant behind it, they don't actually have a launch strategy. Uh, and obviously the, there's a, a technical, very hyper aggressive launch strategy and we can go into rebates and all the other things that, that sellers do. Uh, but they're just launching advertising. They have a couple of reviews. They're, they're getting the movement in. But the key here is that obviously with the honeymoon period, this also is a part of the inventory algorithm. So people look at it from the the Amazon's ranking algorithm of saying, yeah, I know, but we don't have the money and X, Y, Z, but this is also impacting your inventory. So Amazon's gonna look on, let's say a turning 15 day cycle, and they're just looking at your sales turn. And if your sales turn's going up, your limits will go up. And Amazon would say, okay, cool. It was, it was worse in Canada, like at the worst, Michael, like 200 was the rule of thumb in the US for a new ASIN, mm -hmm. as you know, but then in Canada, it was like 50, 75. Wow. It was crazy. We had a couple of ASINs that had like 20 unit limits um, and it was a new SKU. Jeez. We knew it was going to sell hundreds of items a month. This is why we, we prepared and we had the warehouse ready for it, uh, but we still couldn't do anything. So we had to be able to just advise them to push as aggressively as possible. Um, so I, I think the key is just making sure that you understand that the inventory algorithm is also favoring a very successful launch and that first honeymoon period or at least a 30-day run rate will really determine how quickly your IPI for those limits are going to go up and just how quickly. So be aggressive with the launch, 
it's self-explanatory from a sales perspective, uh, but if you're shaking your head wondering why you can't send enough into Amazon, um, they go hand in hand. Because I, I, I think the other thing just to mention that is that as you guys probably see it from the launch perspective, and just like the story you told, a lot of sellers will launch and then go to stock. They just didn't plan yeah. effectively. And it's the easiest way to burn anywhere from $5,000 to $30,000, especially for a competitive category, which is how much some of these launches can cost you if you're doing giveaways and all these things. So it's the uh, it's the, probably the easiest fruit that they could have fixed. They got the page one, they did all the hard work, they spent all the money on the giveaways, they just, they didn't prepare well enough your inventory and either Amazon blocked it and they didn't have a backup or they just didn't send to Amazon or source it fast enough from China to be able to get over here. So there's a thousand one reasons, but be aggressive with launching, but just have inventory back ahead because that usually takes a backseat for a launch strategy. You don't want to be suffering from success. It's a bad issue. In that, in that case. <laughs> Number eight. So avoiding long-term storage fees. I'm sensing a trend about not leaving things sitting around for a very, very long time in these warehouses. 90 days, 365 days. I think it's simple as that. Uh, avoid them like the plague. Like that, obviously every year they do the purge to try to get everything out of Amazon that's overstock. Be there before that happens. Like if you're a part of that wave, like reevaluate your strategy from an inventory because like that's them giving you a final whistle blow to get you out, which just is not gonna favor you, especially from Amazon's perspective. Um, that's like them going to the principal as like a last case scenario that they have to do because there's no other option or getting sent to collections because like you just weren't responding to it. So uh, if you can, usually do it, do it faster. But we see in a lot of these Facebook groups, like whenever those happen, everyone's freaking out because like, oh, we have nine days left, we gotta get it out. And like, you'll see our warehouse, we'll get a flood of submissions. And so whether or not we get a notification, we see it because like our returns page on our website gets flooded and everyone's like, hey, I need to send it tomorrow. Can you set a stock? And it's because it's a very last minute approach. Uh, do a purge, whether it's every 30 days, every 45 days or every 60 days, depending if you have staff and also how much you're doing, just put a reminder in your calendar for a Sunday afternoon. It's a 20 minute gig. You can probably hire someone to be able to do it or if you have a remote team, handle it. Um, but just purge your inventory. A long term uh, can be the death for you. And it's, it's also just healthy to look at your numbers, to go like, oh wow, I didn't know that wasn't selling as well as I thought it did. Or like, oh wow, I sent 180 units and like we have 160 three months later. Uh, some people just don't look at those because those, those usually aren't the shiny objectives and it's a slow mover. It's probably a back burner for you anyway because you probably don't love the product, but look at it, it's, it's super key. Number nine. We're almost at the end, Blair. Enabling Amazon FBM for some percentage of the catalog. You mentioned uh, Amazon FBM a few uh, minutes ago, but talk to us a little bit more about the percentage of the catalog, like what part of the catalog are we thinking of? Why are we doing it? How are we doing it? Share some thoughts there. Amazon FBM. You know this is my favorite conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I still... And I, anyone who listened to the first episode will, will know kind of where I stand with Amazon FBM. Uh, I do love it, but I do hate it. I think when it comes down to it, especially going into Q4, just use it as a competitive advantage because a lot of brands won't. So does this mean that you need to use this as a full approach 
or this is Blair trying to convince you to go FBM. It's just not the case. Majority of the time, Amazon FBA is always a better option. There's certain scenarios where I'll disagree depending on the weight of it or how much you're doing or if you have Amazon SFP with self-fulfilled prime, so some old sellers still have it, then it might be a little bit different. But going into Q4, you need a crutch uh, and you need a competitive advantage. So whether it's because you need to optimize your sell-through rate and you can only pick three out of your top five SKUs for inventory restrictions because you just can't lose those sales, or it's because your product's too heavy or your shipments can't get to Amazon fast enough, there's a lot of reasons why FBM makes sense. Just set it up at the end of the day. Uh, Whether you do a shipment from your home, it kind of sucks, but uh, or use the 3PL that you're already working with if they can do FBM. Both scenarios work, but for an inventory strategy, have it set up. Because I also think just from an overall strategy, if you can get FBM set up, you can probably do Walmart pretty easily. Or you can probably do Shopify or any other those marketplaces because it's very similar. Uh, and if you're already going to do the fulfillment or have a, a warehouse do it, you're 90% of the way there. You just need to set up the marketplace. It might not move as fast as you want. Uh, and obviously, Walmart has Walmart's fulfillment program. But... Uh, Know your limits, stay within it. I think that's kind of the the key behind it. Number 10, closing off inbound shipments pending for inbound performances. What do you mean by this? So, and this is a newer one uh, that one of my team added, but the the thing that we ended up noticing was that uh, people would have these inbound shipments that were still pending. So they would create it uh, and either maybe it was a shipment that got lost in transit or maybe it was whatever happened where they actually processed the shipment through uh, but they didn't actually close it or alternatively they shipped it to amazon but then the total stock wasn't there so they sent 100 but only let's just say 90 arrived so that's scenario number one where it was actually an active shipment but for whatever reason they didn't actually officially close it um, because if you send 100 and only 50 arrive on paper, that inventory should still be available for you to send another. Until you close that off, it that just won't be the case. Uh, Amazon's still treating it, and until you figure it out or close it off or submit why that happened, that will still cause a huge issue. The alternative issue that we end up noticing was that there's also some sellers that will create a shipment, but they'll just never use it. Uh, and they might be playing around with like inventory, they may have had someone create a shipment, but then they pulled back and said, wait, wait, like, let's let's not do that yet. Um, those will impact things, uh, whether you like it or not. So if it is a pending shipment and you created two because you maybe wanted to send a product to uh, California and you keep getting Texas, so you keep trying to create new shipments, which is a hack some sellers do, and they'll change the ship from address to try to get it to the warehouse that's either closer to you or or more strategic to a warehouse partner or wherever the product is. Uh, These are things that traditionally, if you don't close these off, it'll just impact the overall inventory because Amazon is still expecting those that come to Amazon, they don't know any different. So if it's in a FBA generation state, which means that it's not a shipping plan anymore, it's actually a shipment FBA and it has a corresponding FBA ID, flag this, close it off, shut it down because it's it's just messing with the inventory restrictions and you give Amazon confusion, like garbage in, garbage out. They're going to give you confusion right back. So um, it's a small hack that we end up just picking up with some of the sellers. Right on. Blair, we've done it. 10 rapid fire questions about maximizing FBA inventory restrictions. It's always nice to do episodes like this where it's a huge uh 
wisdom per minute where it's just like sharing so much, such a flurry. So I hope people were not listening in 2x or 1.5x because uh, you're missing out on a lot of good stuff. So in general, big takeaways, sell-through rate, incredibly important. Uh, Managing your excess inventory, incredibly important. Mm -hmm trying to maintain inventory that only covers about 30 to 60 days of expected sales. Mm -hmm. Incredibly important. Um, Thoughtfully using FBM for some percentage of the catalog competitive advantage. Um, Trying to to be aware of how the honeymoon period and getting aggressive when launching new products can be helpful, uh, which ties right into going out of stock on some of the most popular products. Really good tips. I don't think there's ever been a show about inventory management, inventory restrictions for FBA that has covered such a breadth of info. How does it feel? I, I don't I don't know if anyone wanted to do it. Maybe that's why they didn't do it. But damn, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take that award all day long. So I'm uh, I'm glad if this becomes the best inventory planning for Q4 podcast in history. And if it's because it's only one of one, yeah. that's, a, that's a that's a win in my books, and that that's going right into my LinkedIn bio. I think after this, of top uh, top podcast uh, session on earth, and I'm legally with it, legally and obligated. No one can tell me different. That's it. I, well, I think we should end it right there. I don't know where we go from there. I think we end it right there. Blair from AMZ Prep. Um, people can get in touch with you fairly easily. Uh, they can find you on LinkedIn. We were both talking about. Uh, being LinkedIn influencers uh, before the show, Try, trying. <laughs> um, so finding you on LinkedIn, I imagine, is your preferred place right now. Uh, road, road. Anywhere yeah. else? I mean, amzprep.com? Yeah, amzprep.com, uh, Google Forest. There'll be 20 photos of some trees and then find me in the weeds of it. That's a great way. Um, yeah, the bat sign, if you throw that up, sometimes I'll come. And then, yeah, link, LinkedIn's the best place to go. Uh, I'm on a road to get 10,000 followers before the end of the year, so I'm, hey. I'm slowly on way. Uh, it's going a little bit slower than expected, but hurdles come, and if you guys can help me get to that, I'm uh, I'm hustling for it. So come see me there. Uh, I have some of my golf photos there. They're they're atrocious, but if you can help me uh, correct my swing, I can help you with inventory. Right on. I I I'm not a golfer, but I will get down with some Top Golf. That's uh, all I need. So. Blair, thank you so much. Blair from AMZ Prep. Have a good one. And I'll see you next week here on the PPC Den Podcast.